Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Who's going to be the voice of hope in your neighborhood? Thousands of people at our work in our neighborhood are going right through life. They have no clue that they're going to a dead end. Who's going to tell them? We are. Let me ask you, first of all, is there any voice? Do you share at all at your place of work? Is there anything that comes from you that says to people, hey, I can point you to God? We are all destined for hell. We are without hope. And that's because of our sinful condition. Well, in today's message, Pastor Mark will remind us that we are all lost in the wilderness of life. That wilderness consists of formal religion, ignorance, and intellectualism. So how can we come out of this wilderness? How can we rid ourselves of this sin that binds us? Well, there's one answer to these two questions. It's Jesus. You see, we aren't capable of earning our salvation. There's nothing we can do to free ourselves from the bondage of sin and death. Left in our own sinful condition, we will be lost in the wilderness. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 8, as he continues with our message entitled, A Voice of Hope in the Wilderness. If you're here this morning or whenever I came to Jesus Christ and I realized I was a sinner, I was walking this way. I was doing my own thing. When God spoke to my heart that it was wrong, I stopped. I made a decision for him. I accepted it in my life, but then I turned 180 degrees and I start to follow Jesus Christ. That's what the role of salvation is and true repentance. Many people are at this point. And they repent, they feel sorry, but then they go back to their same lifestyle. That is not repentance. There's no conversion there at all. Now, John the Baptist said he was coming. He was going to share this truth with the people. And as he did that, if they would repent, he would then baptize them in water. Now, for us, that doesn't sound too strange. But for the Jew, baptism was strange. Jews were never baptized. The only person who was baptized was a Gentile who converted to Judaism. They were then baptized, but the Jewish people themselves weren't. So this is going to be a very strange learning experience for all these Jews because they were never, ever used to that. Now, what kind of baptism was this? The baptism of John the Baptist was different than the baptism of Jesus. The baptism of John the Baptist was a baptism of preparation, of getting people to say, I'm a sinner, I know I'm wrong. They were looking forward to the coming of Jesus. The baptism in the water did not save them from their sins. Jesus hadn't died yet. There was no way. See, there's only one way to be saved. It isn't by water baptism. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So Jesus Christ had to come, live, die on the cross, be buried and resurrected for us to have salvation. So this baptism is not at all a baptism of salvation. It's a baptism of preparation. Remember, we studied that a few weeks ago when we were in the book of Acts. 
John came into the town at Ephesus and he saw these Christians and he said to them, hey, something's different in your life. What's happening in your life? And they, he said, what baptism did you... Well, we were baptized under John. He said, under John? That was 25 years after Jesus died. Didn't you know that Jesus came and died? No, we didn't. So he did what? He explained to them the way, led them to Jesus Christ, then baptized them in the name of Jesus. I believe that everybody that was baptized during the time of John eventually was baptized by Jesus after they accepted him as their own personal Savior. So this is not a saving baptism. There is no saving baptism. It was an external act for the Jew, realistically, just like circumcision was for the Jew. It was an external act sharing what they had admitted in their heart, that they were sinners. Now look at verse 7, and you'll see quickly what John the Baptist does that's very important as an example in my life and yours. And this was his message, John the Baptist. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I, John the Baptist, I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, John the Baptist was preaching the beginning message of hope. He was always pointing to the person of Jesus. Jesus was the real reason for hope. It was not John the Baptist. Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, the one who would come. And if you want to follow a little chart, you can follow this kind of a chart this morning. Here's John the Baptist. His ministry goes like this. It's constantly decreasing. While Jesus is down here at this point, nobody knows him. But his ministry goes like this. You see, and John the Baptist knew that Jesus' ministry was going to go like that, and his ministry is going to go like this, because he was always pointing to the one that was going to change people's real lives. He was just preparing the way. Very important for you and I to realize, we're not the one that changes anybody's life. We must always be pointing people to Jesus. He's the one. There is no other name under heaven whereby a man may be saved, but through the name of of Jesus. So John the Baptist did that. He set the example perfectly for us. Now, let's begin to immerse ourselves in the text. I'm going to bring the stool out here and I'm going to be John the Baptist this morning. You guys are going to be the Jews. Let's think about it a minute now. Who was the audience? Look down at verse 5. John had a message. He had his clothes. He had his food. He was pointing people to Jesus. Who was he talking to? out in the desert. Think about it for a moment. If you had a great new revelation and a new product and you wanted to advertise this new product, where would you advertise it? In the desert where there wasn't anybody? No, you'd go right down downtown Jerusalem, wouldn't you? You'd put up the sign and you'd begin saying, new product, new person's here, wonderful, come try it. People be thronging about you. What does Jesus do? Well, before Jesus comes, John the Baptist is assigned the job of telling people that Jesus is coming. Where does he tell them? Out in the wilderness, where nobody is around. Strange. Why? You'll see why in a moment. Look at verse 5 and see what really happens. It says, The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. It doesn't mean all the people. It means all the people, masses of people, confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. The verse in the Greek literally reads like this. Listen. That drew from Jerusalem and the whole Judean countryside, streams of people constantly flowed into the wilderness to hear John the Baptist and his message. 
Some historians say that up to 300,000 Jews came into the desert to hear John the Baptist. Now, put yourself in your town. You guys are living in the, in the area of Judea and Jerusalem. You're going through your normal life, and John the Baptist is, the closest he can be to you is 20 miles from Jerusalem. Because he baptized people in the Jordan River, and the closest spot to Jerusalem of the Jordan River is 20 miles. There's John the Baptist. He's out there. Now, why would you go out and walk 20 miles to hear somebody sit and say this to you? You're away from God. You're sinning. Some of you are in adultery. Some of you are lying. Some of you are caught up in cheating your neighbor. Some of you have broken all the Ten Commandments. You're headed to hell without God. You need to repent. You need to be baptized in anticipation of the Messiah. Now, why would you walk 20 miles to hear that? Do you know why? Because in your town, you were empty and bored and lost, and you had no clue what life was about. You see, the reason I believe, it's a number of reasons. Some people believe that even the belt that John the Baptist wore was from Elijah. And they were waiting. They'd been waiting for a prophet all these years. The real reason I believe that John the Baptist was in the wilderness was this. John's preaching in the physical wilderness was a sign of the spiritual wilderness of the people who came to visit him. You see, they were bored with life. They belonged to the Jewish religion. The Jewish religion at that time said to you, you must be perfect with the law. They couldn't be perfect. The Pharisees had come up with over 600 rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. Life was miserable. They couldn't ever be right with God. Was there any hope? And then one day, it might have happened like this. A man was walking through the desert. He was on his way back to Jerusalem and he saw kind of a funny guy with funny clothes. And he came to hear him because the man was speaking to just two or three people in front of him. Maybe as he got closer, I always thought maybe he saw a little locust wing and with honey and, you know, John couldn't get off. Well, I don't know, whatever. He came and he heard this guy. And this guy was saying, repent. You need to repent. The Messiah is coming. And he sat and he listened to John. And something captured his heart. And he was baptized. And as he walked the rest of the way back to Jerusalem, he thought, I don't really understand this, but for the first time, there's hope in my life. The Messiah is coming. Now, what would he do when he got back to Jerusalem? He would sit down probably the next day with his locks and cream cheese and bagel and say, Obey. And he'd say, I was walking through the desert yesterday. There was a guy like we studied in Sabbath school. He was kind of like Elijah. And he said, 
that we had to get our hearts ready because the Messiah, the promised Messiah was coming. And he looked strange, but it spoke to my heart. I don't understand what happened, but I repented and I was baptized. And man, my life's changed. You see, and that person would tell another person. And what would happen? What you see in verse 5. Streams of people came out to hear the voice of hope in the wilderness. I want to give you three areas of wilderness that man lives in today. The first one is the wilderness of formal religion. Just before that, point four, if you'll see it up there, is that all people are lost in the wilderness of life without hope. In our country right here, you'll see that we identify with these very much. So the first wilderness I want to talk about this morning is the wilderness of formal religion, which leads to ignorance, which leads to ignorance. You see, inside of man, inside of you, inside of me, there's something in our heart that does this. There's something in our sin nature that says, I can be right with God by being good enough. Do you know what I mean? We're always trying to be good enough. But the Jews, when they saw that happening, realized they couldn't ever be good enough because they were told every day, you didn't obey the law, you didn't do this right. How many of you remember a religion like that when you were growing up? You're at the altar every week. You can't do it. You get down and get saved again. There's something wrong in your life. Man, oh man, I can't remember. We had a path down to the altar because we were trying to be good enough. These people weren't. There's no way to be good enough. So the formal church is a wilderness. Do we have that here in this country? Hmm. You better believe it. Many churches today don't teach the Word of God at all. And it's dead. When the church is dead, it leads to the wilderness of ignorance. People don't know that there's even hope. The second wilderness I want to speak about is the wilderness of intellectualism. Everybody's turned to the God of intellectualism. There's no faith in God. Now it's my mind is my God. When you talk with a, a person in our country, and there's plenty of people this morning that hide under the umbrella of intellectualism. In other words, I'm too smart for your God. I don't have to believe that stuff. You prove to me all of these things. And of course, they went through many wonderful things laws and theories and science and one of the neat things I won't share with you today some neat stuff with archaeology that'll just prove to you the Old Testament wonderful and yet the guy that proved us he stood there he's one of the the world-renowned archaeologists in Egypt and Israel and he stood there he said this is proof that the Old Testament is absolutely true and I sat one night at dinner with him and I said where are you with God he said well I'm not there yet we witnessed to him for two hours because see, his mind has gotten in the way of his heart. So, apologetics is good. It's good to know that people outside of here want to have proof. It's not good to go to people and say, you know, when you become a Christian, you just blow your brain out and just accept Jesus by blind faith. That is not true at all. But there is a point, and I'm going to give you these three things of how to work and witness with somebody who's like that. First one is this. Just write these verses down. Psalm 53, 1. Here's the first thing they told us. When you're dealing with an intelligent kind of person like this, maybe a guy's got an IQ of whatever, he says this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
First thing they start with, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So the intellectual saying, prove to me there's a God and I'll believe. Well, God already had that one ready for him. He says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The second thing they said is this, mankind that denies God is without excuse, for God is known instinctively by all men. Romans 1, 20 and 21. So here's what it says. Listen to this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His external power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So what God says is this. Men will say, well, I can't know that there's a God. I really, you proved to me. It doesn't seem to me that it's been proved. God says that God has proved himself to all men. The Old Testament says, behold, the heavens declare the glory of God. So Romans says that man knows instinctively, God's put it in every heart, no matter how intelligent, no matter how high your IQ, that if you will allow God's Spirit to speak to you, you'll know there's a God. Now, he went on to show how many people with this intellectualism will deny that there's a God. And verse 21 says what happens. For although they knew God or knew there was a God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what happens to an intellectualism in the wilderness of intellectualism if he lets his mind rule his heart? Eventually his heart becomes hardened and his mind becomes blinded and he no longer can see the truth. Dangerous place to be. Point number three was this. You must believe to understand. This was from a scholar, a PhD in logic. And here's what he said. There are some things that cannot be proved by logic. They are outside of our logical systems. And he said this. Here's the verse you want. Hebrews 11.3. And it says this, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what was seen, it was not made out of what was visible. So here's the key. In our life, in your life, in my life, when things come down to the point where an intellectual will say to you, I don't believe, show me whatever, what these scientists, brilliant scientists, said is this, somewhere in their life they're going to have to do this, take a step of faith. The minute they take a step of faith, God will meet them there. It was proved to us by a physicist, PhD physicist, that was here in, lives in Baltimore. Young guy, really a brilliant guy. I loved his spirit, his humility. And he began to talk, and of course he went way over my head. He was talking about quantum physics and all this kind of stuff that you engineers love and all that kind of stuff. But he went way over there, and the atom's broken into more parts, and we got into the triune of the atom, and we had all kinds of fun. I don't know what they were talking think. Thank you, Jesus, I was a pharmacist. But anyway, as we went through all of this stuff, here's what he ended with. He said, I was finishing my Ph.D., and he said, the more I studied physics, the more I knew there was a God. He had no religious background. But he said, the more I study physics, he said, there's got to be somebody bigger than what I'm studying. This stuff is beyond us. So one day, with no religious background, he sat down, read the book of John for himself, finished the book of John, knelt down, repented of his sins, except Jesus Christ, his personal Savior. No witness except the Word. There's power in this. 
You see, and now he realizes, and so he just goes through, and he shares from that scientific viewpoint that you do not have to be an idiot to believe there's a God. And he just ended it by saying this, you've got to take a step of faith, and God will then come to your rescue. Now, there's some people that use an intellectualism as an excuse because they do not want to believe. You will never change that person's heart. Because probably they moved along that path that Romans says their mind is already darkened. They don't want to do it. The third one this morning, quickly, is the wilderness of materialism. The wilderness of materialism. By the way, we have plenty of intellectualism in this country. Plenty. Do we have materialism? Oh, life does not consist in the abundance of things. You see, but we're blinded in this country with materialism. We're in a wilderness. We think we have all the answers. We don't. Look at verse 14 and 15 as we close this morning. There's a year gap between verses 13 and 14. It says, And John was put in prison. You remember he's going to be beheaded. And Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark goes right to the bottom line. He says this. He says, There's more than just repentance needed. Look at that verse. He says, The kingdom of God is here. What does that mean? It means God's rule in your heart is here right now. It's here. Then he says, here's what you have to do. He says you have to repent. This was Jesus. You have to repent. We have already talked about repentance. Then he says there's one step more. See, repentance is never enough. What's he say? Believe the good news. What is the good news? Here was the good news. That those people in those days no longer had to try to be right with God on their own works because Jesus had come He was going to die. He was going to be put on the cross for their sins. And if they would believe in Him, an act of belief, and begin to follow Him, they could find life. In our world, who's going to be the voice of hope? Who's going to be the voice of hope in your neighborhood? Thousands of people at our work, in our neighborhood, are going right through life. They have no clue that they're going to a dead end. Who's going to tell them? We are. Let me ask you, first of all, is there any voice? Do you share at all at your place of work? Is there anything that comes from you that says to people, hey, I can point you to God? When you open your voice, is it a voice of condemnation or a voice of hope? I read a book while I was gone. It said this. really impacted me. It says we need to stop looking at people as wrong we need to start looking at people as lost. Big difference. Thirdly, is there any urgency? Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of God is here now. I'm praying over the next few weeks, as we share in our neighborhoods, as we have a voice of hope, as we open, here's what I'm praying by faith. Do you remember how John the Baptist sat there? And people streamed out of the city to hear him. People, if we'll open our mouths of hope at our place of work, at our school, in our neighborhood, over the next few weeks as we go through, people will be streaming in these doors to find Jesus Christ, to hear a voice of hope, to be baptized, to find their lives totally changed. How's it going to happen? Voice of you and me crying in the wilderness, pointing people. Jesus Christ. 
In the book of Ephesians, we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This portion of scripture explains to us that salvation can't be earned. It is a free gift from God. There's no amount of good you can say or do. There's no amount of church attendance or tithing that will help you earn your way into heaven. It's only by grace through faith in Jesus. Pastor Mark covered quite a bit in today's message. Perhaps you'd like to review. You can listen to today's message again by logging on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Just select today's date from the media player. Or you can also call us toll-free. The number to call is 866-779-3441 to place an order for a CD. Again, that number to call is 866-779-3441. Another way to get in contact with us is by email. The address is info at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. That's info at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. By far, the best way to stay current with everything that you hear on Lessons for Living is to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is easy. Just follow the link at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Now, be sure and tune in next time as Pastor Mark will give us an exhortation, an exhortation to expand our life by following Jesus. You see, without Jesus, we're merely existing, but with Him, we can have a purpose. When we accept Him as our Savior, we become a part of His body and His ministry. We get to take part in His work, and what a blessing that is to serve the King of Kings. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in. And may God bless you. And together, let's do life right.